This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. Freddie T. mentioned last week, we're going to get to the verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And some of you got excited and brought your kids here. And I just want to say, this is like the sermon for elbows, so if you need a stretch, you know, to get ready. But fair warning, I, I don't know if I would elbow because, yeah, it, it's going to come back around, all right? Just, just saying. Uh, and I'm going to be stepping on my own toes this morning as well. My... My parents, growing up, um, they really wanted to instill the Word of God in me. And so my mom, I'm not sure if anybody else had one of these, she had like one of these books that did the ABCs where each letter was the uh, starting letter of a different verse. Still not sure how that worked with X. I'd have to go back and look. I actually only remember the first three to this day. Um, A was, all we like sheep have gone astray. B was, but he was wounded for our transgression. And guess what C was? Children, obey your parents. And I'm like, could there not have been a better C? I'm pretty sure I can find a better C verse in here. But they're like, we're going to make sure this is in our kids. And, of course, it has to be in the, in the top three. I bet you every one of us in this room, even if you're a kid, like you have a couple stories of like when you got like in a lot of trouble or you felt like you got in a lot of trouble. For me, um, the first one I really remember I was five years old, and it was bedtime, but I wasn't tired. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to color in bed. And um, the problem was I didn't have, like, a coloring book or anything. And I look, look to my left, and there's this beautiful canvas called The Wall. And so I'm like, this is going to be great for me. And so I, I get out crayons, and I just start, like, big circles on the wall, which um, – Kids, just so you know, it makes a very loud noise when you put a crayon against the wall, all right? Just, just telling you. So I'm coloring on the wall, and all of a sudden, the room is dark, and the door opens, and there's, like, the silhouette of my dad. And I remember just going, uh-oh. <laughs> like, that was, that was all I could say. And uh, needless to say, there was some um, discipline that, that followed. Fast forward, not my best moment. Fast forward, I was 16 years old, and was going through a rebellious season in my life where I was just making really, really dumb decisions um, and hanging out. And this was back in the day when teenagers actually, like, went outside of their house. Like, um, that actually, that, uh, yeah, it happened. If you don't remember, there was a time uh, where st- teenagers actually went out and, uh, and did really, uh, we were a part of some, some really weird things. And apparently... My brain was definitely not fully developed yet, all right? I'm just going to, can I put that out there? Because I thought it would be a good idea to take a six-pack of beer and hide it behind the living room couch. What could possibly go wrong? And I'll never forget, my dad comes up to me, puts his hand on my back, and he said, Tim, you need to get the six-pack of beer out from behind the couch before your mother finds it. <laughs> And I'm waiting for, like, whatever's coming next. And he's like, that's it. Uh, that's like some ninja parenting right there. Because, like, what he did, like, I was like, no, 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 no. What's the rest? What's the rest? It, fr- it freaked his, like, 
that's all he did, and it freaked me out. And it would have, it would have been way better had he grounded me. I would have felt better. But that did something to me in that moment. And, and it strikes me that how we bring up our kids, it's, it's, um, it's not a simple thing, right? Like parents, like how you parent one child is not how you parent another child, most likely. And how you parent in one season of their life and your life is not how you parent in another season. Different wirings require uh, different approaches. And so what that means is it takes an incredible amount of wisdom to know how to do this in a way that honors God and helps bring them up. And so this message is, uh, for those of you that are kids, it's for you. If you're a parent or aspiring parent, um, maybe you're helping another parent uh, to parent. Maybe you're a grandparent, a, a grandfather, grandmother. Uh, you're an aunt or an uncle. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, check this out. You're in a family, the family of God. And we are called to bring up the next generation. And so actually it's for anyone who feels the weight and responsibility of bringing up the next generation in the way of the Lord. Now, if we're going to be honest, Scripture can kind of be challenging when it comes to parenting because, like, which Old Testament character are you going to point people to as, like, the perfect model for a parent, right? Hey, guys, um, we're going to do um, a breakout session today on parenting like Jacob, right? Like, this is how, um, no matter how many kids you have, you should make sure that everyone knows who your favorite is and make a big deal out of it and parent that way all the It's going to go great, right? Or are you going to pick Noah, who shamed himself in front of his kids? And, I mean, there's all sorts of, like, just these stories in the Old Testament that make it really difficult to say, be like them, which, by the way, is never the point. Everything in the Old Testament points to, thankfully, an answer to that question, and it points to Jesus. And uh, we're going to get today to um, what we're going to call the household codes. And I know that sounds just so thrilling and exciting and how you want to spend your Sunday morning to talk about household codes. But this is what Paul does is he unpacks what a Jesus-shaped ethic of the home looks like. And so he's, um, we're going to continue what we've been doing, which is Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's writing to a young congregation. And before we get into the text, I, I, I got to get some nerdy context stuff out because it's super, super important. Like, what in the world is a household code? First thing you need to understand is that in the Greco-Roman Empire, they believed that what happens in the micro, like, totally affected the macro. In other words, like, see if this sounds familiar. What happens in the home, right, the health of the home affects the health of the country. We talk a lot about that. Like, we believe that too. And so, they had household codes which were very much a part of the culture even before Paul wrote this. Now, a couple things. If you're coming to this text and you take off your I've been in church for a long time eyes and you look at chapter 5 and 6 and you look at the household code, you might be tempted to say, yeah, this is why the Bible is so out of touch, right? Like it's talking about all the submission stuff and like, we don't do it that way anymore. And I just want to remind us for a second what, I mean, C.S. Lewis talked about this. There's this thing, um, the arrogance of the cultural present, right? Like, to think that, like, we're so not like those people back then. I mean, you can go back 25 years ago and be like, man, I'm glad we're not like we were 25 years ago. Spoiler alert, there are things that you're going to email or post on social media this week 
that 25 years from now, you would be absolutely like embarrassed about. The only problem is we have no idea what it is, right? If we did, we wouldn't do it. But check this out. That's because cultural values change so much. They change, and they're changing faster and faster. And this is why it's so important that when we take the Word of God, the Word of God has to be up here above us, not below us. Uh, you've probably heard me say this before. Like, if you read the Bible and nothing in it offends you, you're probably not reading it right. You're probably just taking whatever cultural values you have in your life that are springing up from where you've lived, your family, your background, and you're reading Scripture through that lens to shape it to, to be the way that you want. Um, and the problem with that is a God that we make ourselves doesn't have the power to change us because we've just made God in our image instead of the other way around. Are you with me? And so we need to take Scripture and to say, you know what, there's stuff here that doesn't make sense to me. That's on me. And so we're going to look at Scripture and let it shape us. And so I'll say this. As we go through these next three weeks where we talk about wives and husbands and children and parents and um, servants and masters, when that resistance, when that thing comes up in you, pay attention to that because that might be where God wants to do his biggest work. Here's the second piece on the household. You need to understand that this may seem backwards to you, but when this would have been read um, in the household at Ephesus, it would have been like a bomb going off because, as I mentioned earlier, household codes were not something he made up. These were, they already existed. There were philosophers that had household codes. There were government officials that had, had household codes. They existed outside the Bible, and every one of them outside the Bible demeaned women, children, and servants. So Paul isn't introducing something new. Let me show you how this plays out. Um, you know what would be fun this morning is for us to all be angry at Aristotle together. That'd be fun, right? Like, it's not what you expected on a Sunday morning. Let's be angry at Aristotle together by looking at his household code. This is not me. This is Aristotle. No, don't throw anything at me. All right, here we go. Of household management, we have seen that there are three parts one is the ruler, the rule of a master over slaves, which has been discussed already, another of a father, and the third of a husband. A husband and father we saw, we saw rule over wife and children, both free, but the rule defers. Here we go. The rule over his children being royal, and the ruler over his wife is based on natural constitution. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female, just as the elder and full-grown is superior to the younger and more immature. And well done. I did not hear an amen. That is good. Good job, guys. Like, that's, that's good. All right, here's the good news. We aren't our Aristotle. Uh, like, hopefully, uh, we don't agree with Aristotle here. And the good news is that Jesus did not either, and Paul certainly didn't. Let me explain. Every other household outside of the Bible, when they addressed people, they only addressed the head of the household. They would never bring up, they would never address women, they would never address children, and never address bond servants, because that would give them a dignity that they did not deserve. But what does Paul do in Ephesians 5 and 6? He actually calls them by name, and here's where it gets crazier. Not just by name, look at the order he does wives and then husbands, children, then parents, bond servants to masters. By addressing them at all, and especially by addressing them first, he's saying, hey, in a culture where all these people are considered like lowly and don't have any standing, I'm telling you, these people are created in the image of God and we're going to give them dignity. Paul 
and he, as he does these household codes, it may seem backwards to you, but for them, it would have been um, so subversive to what they were used to already. And I love this because it's so beautiful. If you look back, I'm going to put this on the screen. Verse 21 in chapter 5 is the verse that precedes the household codes. Every other household code outside the Bible was meant to only like give the benefits to one person. And that was the patriarch, the head of the household. So Paul, before he even gets to the meat of the household code, look at verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's saying, in our houses, church, there is, a benef- there is someone that we want to benefit. There's somebody we want to honor. It's Jesus. Out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. So you, you're going to see this ethic throughout the household code of learning to die to ourselves and submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. That phrase, reverence for Christ, or in the Lord, or of the Lord, it's said 11 times throughout the household code. Do you think Paul is trying to get something across here? That if we want our homes to be places of, like, love and of, like, nurture, they have to be rooted in Christ. That's the context. Now, let's look at the passage together. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, get your elbows ready. All right, here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First point is this. Um, Children, obedience is the floor, and honor is what we reach for. Um, this was actually got this from one commentator that said, think about it, obedience is like what you must do, but the goal is much more than obeying, right? Like if you think about it, the Ten Commandments, what was it that made it? It was honor your father and mother. That is the high bar that we are called to do. And that means like that's for life, guys. Like if your parents are still alive, you're called to honor your father and mother. And I just want to speak to the adult Um, kids in the room, the adult children in the room, be really, really careful because what you say in front of your kids, uh, if your parents are making bad decisions or they're doing something that is getting on your nerves and you just begin to kind of trash talk them in front of your kids, don't be surprised if later on they do the same thing to you. Like you're modeling for them what it looks like to honor or to dishonor your parents. And that, that's what we need to reach for, right? Like there's a time where you grow out of obeying your parents, right? When you leave home, like that's, that's not the call always, right? Like maybe they're not living a, a godly lifestyle. But the call never ends to honor our father and mother. And so that's, that's a key. Now, if you're a kid, here's what you need to understand about this. It's obey and honor, which means there is actually a way to obey that doesn't honor your parents. And we know how this works, right? You know, Tim, sit down. No, Tim, sit down. All right, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up inside, right? Like I'm not, I am not happy about it, right? So that is not what we're called to do. We're not called to obey. We're called, we're called to obey and to honor and to, and to respect. Literally the word honor means uh, to respect, to respect and to, to show honor to our, to our parents. That's the first one. Number two is this. Parents, your presence is more vital than you know. Um, look, at, look at verse four. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I want to just, we're going to come back to that part, but I want to look at this phrase, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for bring them up is a Greek word that is translated nourish. And it implies physicality. It's literally the same word that he uses in um, 529 of a man that nourishes his own body. This means, parents, as much as possible, we need to prioritize time with our kids. And most likely, that's going to require sacrifice from you. Um, This means that you might have to temporarily say no to something that you like to do. Doesn't mean it's forever so that you can invest in your kids. Um, Andy Stanley once said, and I love this, it stuck with me, don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. Let me say that again. Don't give up what's unique to you for something someone else will do. All right, here's your way FM positive thought of the day. You ready? You're replaceable. (laughs) Isn't that fun? You're replaceable. Well, you and I are replaceable. If you were to die today and your job was still necessary tomorrow, and AI hadn't taken it, you know, your job, it, there were another person would step into your role. We don't like to think of that, do we? Like, we, we like to think that, no, like, like, I'm required to do this, and if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. A little over a year ago, we're living in New Jersey, and praying about the possibility of moving down here. And um, some of you know this, we were a part of um, starting churches in New Jersey for about 17 and a half years. If you don't know this, doing a church in the Northeast is very, um, very different. Like the churches are a lot smaller. I remember our first Easter, I called one of my partner churches up. He was like, how, how did Easter go? I was like, we had a hundred people. And he was like, I am so sorry. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I am thrilled. Like 100 people, that is, that is great, right? This is not a culture that uh, a lot of people go to church. And so as a result, the churches that we started were, were more neighborhood churches. And so I remember when we were praying about moving back down here, um, one of the, my biggest hesitations was we've started a good work here in New Jersey. And like, what if we leave and just kind of the whole thing falls apart. And um, a good friend of mine, some of you may know him, his name is Freddie T, said, um, he said, Tim, I learned something in ministry from his ministry. And he said, don't discount the idea that if you leave, that people are going to step up in ways that they never did when you were there. And also don't discount the idea that the church may, may grow and may be healthier than it ever has been before after you leave. And you know what? Like, I can tell you this. Like, last week, the church that I pastored installed a new pastor last week, and it's as healthy as it's ever been, and I could not be more excited. You and I are replaceable when it comes to our jobs, but, but lean in, hear this. When it comes to our kids, you are unique. You are mom. You are dad. You are grandma. You're granddad your aunt, your uncle, like we're raising up the next generation and nothing can take that place of you in your family. It means that you might need to say a temporary no to something so that you can lean in. It means that for some of us in this room, the most important thing that you're going to do in your life is not going to come in the context of your job or your accomplishments, but it's going to come in 
you, raising up a kingdom difference maker for, for the glory of God. Listen to that. For some of you, that means letting go of maybe some of your ambition to recognize the importance and the value of presence in your family's life. I, when I was a youth pastor in uh, Atlanta, I was at Piedmont Baptist Church, and there was a lady on staff named Joy Mojica who was uh, the children's director at the church. And we had just had Ian um, like a couple years ago, but we were already wrestling with which school to send him to. Do we send him to, do we do homeschool? Do we do Christian school? Do we do public school? And I remember talking to Joy, and she's like, hey, I can't really tell that for you. Like there's not necessarily like a right choice on that. And I was like, yeah, but like I'm really concerned because like we, we don't want them to be exposed to like, like all these like bad values and bad culture. And I'll never forget what she said. Um, she said, and she'd been in ministry for, I mean, a long, long time. She said, Tim, if your kids get into the wrong crowd or hear the wrong things, um, it's not great, but it's not ultimate. Like, you need to remember that what you teach your kids is going to be foundational. And she, she said, I've seen it over and over again, that when people, when kids are taught properly and they're discipled, that they tend to come back to that original teaching at some point in their life. And, and I got to tell you, as a student minister, for many years, I saw the same thing. I, I, I remember seeing students that had godly parents that were in the youth group that would begin to rebel. And almost every one of them at some point made their way back into the church because their parents had put those principles into their life. There's a sad flip side to that too, right? I saw kids that would come into the youth group that were a part of really dysfunctional, broken families. And they would come in and they would, you know, be on fire for God. And oftentimes, they would end up um, abandoning the church and leaving the church. And I'm so thankful to say there are exceptions to that rule because we have a God that is a God of redemption and that can interrupt the brokenness in our, in our life and turn bad things for his good. So hear that. But I say that to say we cannot shrink back from our unique responsibility to lean in and to be present with our children, to embody Jesus to our kids and let, let that take root in their hearts so that they can grow closer to God. And I, I just want to say this. Some of you might be like, man, this is hard. Like, I, I feel like this is not meant to beat you up. Like, our God is a God of redemption. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's not about what is in the past at this point. It's about what you do now. It's about what you do going forward. It's about leaning in and saying, God, what does it look like now for me to be the person that you've called me to be? And God can redeem the lost time. Uh, one of the beautiful things in Scripture is, do you know that every time you see the phrase, um, they were advanced in age in the Bible, that their best moments were ahead of them, not behind them. That's the God that we worship, right? It's the God that redeems. And so feel that today as well. Finally, number three is this. We are called to discipline toward relationship. Look at verse four again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, it's interesting. Commentators are kind of split on why Paul says fathers. It's actually a word that can mean fathers and mothers. 
but it looks like it's for fathers. It could be because he's addressing like the head of the household. It also could be he knows something about fathers, right? Like do not provoke your parents to anger. Um, real quick, let, let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that you parent in a way that ensures your children never get angry at you. In fact, if you do that, I can guarantee you, you're not doing it right, right? Like they're going to push back. They're going to be angry. This is talking about a deep-seated anger that leads to like a lifetime of just a broken relationship and bitterness and anger. And um, there are a couple different ways this can happen. One, and some of you have experienced this as children, is the over-disciplining parent, the one that like they have a vision for your life, right? Like they have a wonderful vision for your life and they're going to make sure that you fill that vision and they're going to tweak and they're going to micromanage and they're going to be harsh. They're going to be overbearing. They might even be that, like in, in its worst forms, it can be abusive. It can, it can subject the child to humiliation. And then we wonder like, why are they angry at us? Like, why do we have a broken relationship? Well, it's because we've over-disciplined them. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that's most of our problems today in this culture. There, there, there are still spots of this, but I, I think it's kind of flipped, and I think there's another way that can cause anger in your kids, and that is under-discipline. That is a lack of direction, because our culture says, hey, your kids have got to have their own beliefs anyway, and so just, you know, give them some suggestions give them ideas and guide them and reason with them and let them become, you know, whoever God has called them uh, to be. Uh, we try, and we try to reason them as if they're adults. And we just cater to their needs. And we say, like, well, hey, if that's what you believe, then that's great. And we never tell them no. And we never tell them they're wrong. And here's the problem is they graduate and they get into the real world and they realize that that's not the real world. Like, everything they say isn't right, and people will tell them that. And all of a sudden, that image is shattered. And just as over-discipline can lead to anger, I've seen under-discipline also cause anger because they don't feel prepared for a world that's incredibly confusing. Now, whether you fall into the over-discipline side or the under-discipline side, I want to suggest that they both result, they're a result of the same thing, um, and that is this. Your families, your spouse, your children are great. You love them. That's awesome. But hear this. They are not ultimate. If you make them your all, and I've heard this like terminology, oh, my family are my everything. If you do that, what we do is we put them on a pedestal and we put them ahead of God and it creates... Um, these really unhealthy patterns in the way that we parent. There's a danger that instead of, instead of raising them up, we're raising us up through them. Does that make sense? In other words, like we begin, our identity is now in our kids. I'm going to live the life that I wanted to live through my kid. And when we do that, we're putting so much pressure on our children that we will either over-discipline or we will under-discipline because we've made them an idol of the heart. And, and when they don't meet those expectations, this is when sometimes all of a sudden, maybe you've under-disciplined, but then all of a sudden you just, you just go off on them. You don't just get angry. You lose your temper. You ever do this? And we'll, we'll say things like, I don't, I don't know where that came from. That, that's not me. Let's be clear. Like, 
that's us. Like, if it comes out of us, one of the words that uh, Scripture uses to talk about anger is stirring up. Like, you know, like when you stir something and there's a bunch of stuff in the bottom, it comes to the top. When something comes up, we should apologize, but don't, it's, don't say that's not me. That's in there. And we can even go a step further and say that when you hear yourself being inordinately angry, like, man, I don't know where that came from, pay attention in those moments because usually we are defending something that has become an idol in our life. And so when you hear that, you catch yourself and you ask yourself the question, like, what is it that I'm defending so so harshly right now? And then we're quick to apologize. Listen, parents, we're not perfect. We're going to mess up. We're going to mess up this week. We're probably going to mess up today. Let's learn to be quick to apologize and say, you know, it's not, we, we don't make excuses for what our kids did. We don't, you know, we say, listen, what you did was wrong, but the way I responded was also wrong. Model that for your kids. I want them to be sick of you going, man, I'm, I'm sorry, I messed up again. Because you're just modeling that constantly, this constant repentance. That's going to do your children well to see a heart that is so soft for the Lord and for the things of the Lord. Tim, that seems really, really hard. Well, it is until you realize that there's one key to this whole thing, and we've already talked about it. It's in the last three, ver- three words of that verse, of the Lord. Submit one to another out of reverence for the Lord, in the Lord and of the Lord 11 times. The only way that we can even begin to get this right, it starts with the gospel. It starts with recognizing that we worship Jesus who was also a son, who loved us so much that he went to the cross and lost the love of his father on the cross so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Died on the cross, was raised up three days later. If we will live our life with that as our foundation, then we can love our families like crazy in the right order. And we parent in a way that leads to relationship with the Lord and hopefully a relationship with our families that lasts to the end of our days here on this earth. That's my prayer for us. Because check this out, church. We have families and we are spiritual family and the way that we parent and the way that we love each other will either point people to the hope that we have in Christ or it will turn them away. And my heart and my prayer for us is that we will parent and live our lives in a way that point people the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. We need so much grace because I think every one of us in this room, it's just easy to, to feel guilt and to shame, and that's not who you are. You're a God that has loved us, and you're a God that has given us freedom. And so, Father, I pray that wherever we are in this moment, that we could just see the vision of what you've called us to, to love each other well, to to balance grace and truth in our parenting, to honor our father and mother in everything that we do. And Father, I pray that when we fall short, and we do so often, that we will be quick to repent, that we'll be quick 
to turn away, that will be quick to apologize because our foundation is in you and you've given us um, so much grace. God, help us to be the fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and aunts and uncles and children that you've called us to be. Do a work in us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we sing together. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.